So we're all here this evening from different homes, different experiences. We're all handling different pressures and challenges. The world around us is uncertain, and yet one thing is certain. We have hope in a God who will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just want to read um, Psalm 46. It's from the message version, but when I get further down, you might understand why I chose this particular version because it's very um, apt for some of the situations that are going on in the world today. So just listen as I read. God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom, courageous in sea storm and earthquake, before the rush and roar of oceans, the tremors that shift mountains. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. River fountains splash joy, cooling God's city, the sacred haunt of the Most High. God lives here. The streets are safe. God at your service from crack of dawn. Godless nations rant and rave. Kings and kingdoms threaten. But earth does anything he says. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of all angel armies protects us. Attention all. See the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth. Bans war from pole to pole. Breaks all the weapons across his knee. Step out of the traffic. Take a long loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you because there is none like you. Though we look in many different places, there is no one higher, stronger, or greater than you. There is no place too dark where your light cannot shine. And if you're for us, Lord, what could stand against us? Thank you that you know each person here this evening. Thank you that you know the thoughts, concerns, and burdens that we carry with us. Thank you that in all these situations, no matter how impossible they seem, you give us enough strength to face each day. And Lord, we thank you for returning Frank, Claire and Ruth back to us after this year. And as we listen this evening, may we be even more astounded at how you are working in ways that we couldn't even imagine across this island and further afield. Amen. Adam. A couple of days ago, um, when uh, we were preparing for tonight, Frank gave me some scrapbooks of the year that he spent as moderator. And they're actually on the communion table, and they're absolutely amazing, because it's easy to forget what Frank and Claire and Ruth and Rob and, and Rebecca, what they lived through in this year that's just gone by, where they were in the public eye for an entire year, You'll have forgotten about some of the headlines. Some of the headlines are incredible. I was reminding myself as I was going, Frank won't, won't want to hear this, but I was reminding myself of some of those headlines as I was going through those scrapbooks. It was absolutely incredible. And I'd really encourage you uh, to look through the scrapbooks. They're, they're on the communion table. And we're going to talk about some of those moments tonight. Perhaps God changed Frank and Claire in that year. Perhaps 
God changed us in that year? We're going to find out tonight. But they don't know what they're going to be asked. So they're a bit nervous. And you can understand why. Uh, so give them a big, a big round of applause as they come up here to share with us. We're going to be good friends here and squeeze on this three-seater. All right. And I'll sit forward so that you don't have to crane your necks or anything like that. Thank you. Okay, well, we're going to start off, and I did say that, oh, I think we're okay, I think we're, we're okay, that, Karen. If, if anything goes wrong, I know where that mic is. Um, we're going to start off just very generally, because it was a momentous year, and I wanted to start with Claire, and what I wanted to ask was, did you know what Frank was getting into in this year? Had you any idea of what was sort of at stake? And how public all of this would be? Um, for those of you who don't know me, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I was, I'm not really Presbyterian through my veins sort of person. So even when Frank was kind of trying to let me know that his name was going forward, there's this whole process of his name going forward and all of that, I would just take one thing at a time and say, oh lovely, very good, that's great. And I had not a clue, really, of what it would involve. But what I did sense was this it was a two-year process, really, where the year before Frank's name had been nominated, and um, then people voted. But I think, really, it is, am I really is this true to say that very few people are nominated the first year and are moderator? Yes. But when you're nominated then, it could be likely that you could be nom nominated again the next year. Yeah. So I wasn't really sure of how that, the two-year process really, um, how it worked. I had no clue. So um, Frank kind of very gently would have said to me, you know, th there's a possibility that my name might go forward again. And I said, all oh, right, lovely, very good. And then really what, what we had was, uh, there, what I observed and witnessed was a sense of calling that Frank was in a different place than the year before. Um, and that he had a sense that he was called to it. And I even shared it with a girl at work who said, well, how, how, what's going to happen? How do you know what's going to happen? And I said, well, it really is a sense of calling. And I suppose in our marriage, I've seen Frank called to Adelaide Road, called to Bloomfield and the process of that. And so I knew then that he would be called to this role. And I had no clue what it would look like <laughs> day to day. And I think it's as well I didn't. Because, because sometimes we can overanalyze things. And I think God gives grace for the day. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the present. And enjoy the journey. And everything then really uh, falls into place. And I think that's really my, my testimony for the year that I was in. That God was with us in each day. And while there were things ahead of us, we didn't have headspace to think of how we're going to deal with it. And we live very much in the present and God was faithful every day. Just um, on that subject of every day though, mm -hmm. Frank, you weren't really shrinking violet going into the year, okay? Because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to remind you of this. You know, on your, in your moderator's address uh, at the General Assembly, at the start of your moditorial year, the, the issues you tackled in that address were, were big, big issues. So rampant consumerism, the impact on the environment, the kind of culture of, of death, as it's sometimes called, 
um, same-sex marriage, all of those things came up in your address at the beginning of the year. So you, you didn't shrink away. You took on some big things head on. Why? <laughs> you could have ducked all of that. You didn't need to do any of that. We live in a world which is uh, broken, which has fallen, and uh, this is the environment in which we live and breathe. And uh, Christian people have something worthwhile to say. We know that the world is broken, but we know that there's someone who can put it back together again. There is redemption, there is hope. We have a message that is unique. If we don't say it, nobody else will say it. And so you're given an opportunity. Um, it only maybe comes once, and uh, you take it if it's given to you because it's a God moment. And I think that's how we felt. And how is it working when Frank is having to go in and do an interview on the BBC or go on the Nolan show or whatever it might happen to be? Are you, are you just praying through every minute of that? Or how, how are you dealing with that as a, as a couple? And is it an isolating experience when you're the moderator that, that, you, that you don't necessarily feel that you've, there, there's anybody else to go to and to be involved in, the, in this? You know that people are praying for you. But they might not be praying at that specific moment when you've got this huge challenge in front of you. So how's that working out? That's a good question, Adam. And I think one of the things that was really quite um, tangible this year was uh, the sense that we were um, blessed. God was with us. His spirit was living in us. Um, and I, I know for, for many of you, you've had difficult, challenging times and you just know God is very um, profoundly speaking to your spirit where nobody else can really um, speak to and I think that was really our experience because we knew that you, we, you, you'd, you'd covenanted to pray for us and um, we met people every week who said we're praying for you every day people here prayed for us every day and while we could, could say Adam prayed at 10 on Tuesday morning when he was out for his run and um, we knew corporately that under the providence of God nationwide that God had his spirit living in, in us and we were empowered to do his work uh, by his Holy Spirit and and yes I I found um, there were a few interviews that were a wee bit tricky uh, one I didn't know was happening and I have an awful habit of coming into our house and going yoo-hoo so I came into our house and went and didn't get the response I wanted. <laughs> but anyway, apart from that, then we had we we had times where Frank was on the on the uh, yes that per man and BBC and in, in Korea or whatever. And there were times where Frank was taking the interview, and we knew that we knew the t uh, tone of it was serious. And certainly the morning after being elected moderator, there's this interview, and it's brutal. It was brutal. It was particularly brutal. Uh, I felt. Um, because it just kept going back to this one issue, same-sex marriage, same-sex marriage. And um, the, the, that then, I think, coloured our view of how, the, how the, some of the interviews might be. So we didn't take, we weren't complacent. So we did pray, we, and we were still. Um, and I was able to contact, I have uh, three friendship groups that prayed faithfully, and I was able to say to them if there was a very ad hoc thing. And... Um, I, I didn't feel isolated. I felt very supported, actually. That's uh, did you feel isolated doing them? I was hugely aware of people's yeah. prayers. 
without question. Yeah. And I'd say thank you very much for that. Let me remind you of what you lived through in the past year. These are just the political events, okay? So it was the year of centenaries. Yes. So there was the Somme commemoration. And as we know, commemorations are always uh, complex in this part of the world. Uh, David Ford was removed as an elder at Second Danny Gore in that year. There were controversies over bonfires. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, there was a political crisis at Stormont. Mark McGuinness died. New government at Westminster. It was a really, really big year of upheaval. Were you conscious, Frank, of the responsibility of speaking into such a place of complexity and difficulty at that time? I think you're aware that you have choices as moderator, and every moderator has choices how they're going to deal with the media, how they're going to interact with the issues of the day. And, and different moderators have chosen different options. You can choose not to engage with, with the media. You can court the media and look for opportunities. Or else you can, um, you can be available and be prepared to speak if that is necessary. I think that was the option that, that I, I felt was the right one. I remember speaking to one of your colleagues um, uh, and he made the comment that not to speak is both cowardly and rude. And uh, so that was, that was an interesting thing that was in my head. So um, I think you just do the very best you can and rely on the promise that, um, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who, who uh, graciously hears and answers that prayer. You know the promise in the book of James. And that is a promise that uh, um, we relied on hugely during the year. And is, do you think there's something in that promise for all of us as Christians? Would you say that there's, that there's a message for that and from your experience? One of the things that, that happened a lot was, was you're in situations that you've never been in before. You're going into context that you've never been before. Lots of people that you've never met before. And we would often, I was so pleased that Claire was able to take a year's unpaid leave so that meant that Claire was able to be at a whole lot of the events and, and we would often travel together. And in the car we would pray just before we went in that God would precede us with, with his Holy Spirit, that we would be guided who we would speak to, that we would say the right thing to the right people at the right time and, and just rely on that promise. And time after time, Adam, that prayer was answered. And, you know, we look back and you know, we say, thank you, Lord, for guiding us to that particular person that uh, we were able to speak to and, and speak to of eternal things. Because, again, this is one of the things. What is different about a moderator from a political representative or something like that? And, again, come back to uh, um, my conversation. was actually with Will Leach. And uh, Will's father was my primary school headmaster. But Will said to me, uh, he said, the, the media do not want you to speak about Jesus. That's why you must. And, and I think what he was saying is, look, if you don't, nobody else will. And so I took that very seriously. So in any context where there was opportunity, you know, you, you, you think, well, what is the, not what is the politically expedient thing to say, but what would the Lord Jesus say? What was he say in this context? What are the vital things of Christian concern that uh, nobody else is either prepared to say 
or wants to, to hear. Rather like Drew was encouraging us to do this morning, and that theme we'll come back to a little bit later on. We're going to take a break because uh, we're going to do a little bit, kind of a little bit more praise, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll get into some of the, the moments, the key moments from your year. Um, obviously, over that year, there were some incredible experiences. And one of the experiences that looms really large when you look back through the scrapbooks is Nepal. And I was reading um, some of your thoughts about that, Claire, and how, um, how affecting it was. And there was a little moment in it, we were talking earlier about, about, about how um, you know, we're here to point to Christ, as, as Frank was setting out. But there's a, there's a little description of the, the, uh, the greeting you're looking really nervous here. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to speak now in Nepali. You're safe. But they do say something in Nepali, which is namashta, isn't it? Okay, okay. And that's a greeting, yeah? But Christians have a different greeting. Yeah, so, so Nepalese people say namaste, and Christians say jamaste, because they mean Jesus be with you today. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And... In your experience in Nepal, yeah. you saw some wonderful things and you saw some really deeply affecting things and quite terrifying things. And one of the, the things that I read about was the kind of trafficking that there is of, yeah. of young women. And that was yeah. something that is clearly going on in that country. Tell me a little bit about how you, and you witnessed, obviously, some of these great challenges that there are in that society and difficulties that there are in that society? I think for any of us when we travel your, your kind of senses are all alert and I just love looking all around me and we were very fortunate because we were in a Land Rover with Peter Lockwood who's lived there and had an um, experience of Nepal since he was 23 and he's kind of my age and so he had lots of experience so it was a wonderful opportunity to understand the culture more and and see you know we would see things that he doesn't didn't see anymore and you'd ask questions so we were kind of all bundled Ruth was with us which was great we're all bundled into the back of this Land Rover and taken on a three-day trip around outside of Kathmandu and there there's a major I suppose like the equivalent for us is your your major route up to Coleraine and your major route down to Oma and uh, the, the thing that was really, t uh, of, there were all these little, they looked like little coffee shops, but you realise they didn't have coffee shops in Nepal. Um, and so I said, oh, look, Peter, what are all these? What are all these little buildings all the way along the road? And he said, well, actually, they say they're hotels, but they're not. They're, they're places mm -hmm. for these truck drivers who come through to stop off and uh, avail of prostitutes. But I said, but I'm only seeing children. And he said, well, that's part of the problem. It's terrifying. Yeah, and it, it had an impact on us, Ruth, didn't it? Because um, we were uh, in, a, in a, a, a guest house. Guest house. We were in a, <laughs> we were in a building and staying there overnight. Uh, I'm not going to recommend it for any of you. you wouldn't <laughs> but we were in, in that environment. But um, what was a wee bit unfortunate, uh, the, peop the people who served us um, realised Ruth was a very attractive teenage girl. And these men then would, were standing outside our door. And our accommodation, we had tried to figure out that, well, hey, Frank and I would be in together and Ruth would be just beside us and we'd work that one out. 
And then I said, well, Frank, I'm afraid you're on your own and Ruth and I are together. Um, and that happened a wee bit and I kind of had a pair of sunglasses with me and I said, Ruth, what you do is put the sunglasses on and that'll kind of protect, give you a sense of protection. But we had to do that quite a bit and it was a wee bit unnerving and, and maybe the boys would just take pictures of, of Ruth particularly. And these, these men would take pictures of Ruth and that's not our culture. So um, that was an insight for us of really what it was like for our missionary um, and Christian families that are there who, who like, likewise have beautiful children who, aren't, who are then exposed to that in a, in a kind of secondary way. Uh, yeah. What about the work of the church in Nepal, Frank, then, and uh, how the church is taking on that culture? Mm. What struck you about that? It, I mean, it was great seeing those pictures this morning and actually those um, images, you know, where Simone is at the minute reminded us so much of last November. And, you know, with the mask, the, the, the pollution in Kathmandu is horrendous. The noise is awful. Um, it's, it's not an, an easy environment to be in. And the children of our PCI missionary personnel, they are exposed to that. And, and I just think we don't really half pray, not only for our, our missionary personnel, but for the children growing up there. And just the ordinary challenges of life. I mean, there was one morning, one of the boys, he got knocked off his bicycle. No, he got bitten by a dog yeah. on his way to school. And he was traumatized by that. And so he took a day off and, and so on. And, and they went, uh, Ruth, was able to go down into the town and see some of the uh, the Hindu uh, um, images and gods and everything. And we just forget what a, an alien, anti-Christian culture uh, the whole environment is. Having said that, when I was a child, I remember being told that you could count on the fingers of one hand the number of indigenous believers in Nepal. Yeah. Now the church is just growing from strength to strength. And if somebody becomes a Christian in Nepal, they are obligated to share their faith in Jesus with somebody else in the expectation that they will become a Christian within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And they do. Mm -hmm. And the church is just growing at a phenomenal rate. So while we were initially there in order to support our missionary personnel and in order to be able to see how the 700,000 pounds that PCI wonderfully contributed to the earthquake appeal where 97,000 people were killed, well, we, that was ostensibly the reason for us going there, and that was wonderful to be able to see how that monies were being utilised. It was a great thrill to meet some of the indigenous believers there, spend time with uh, young uh, Christian people training for ministry and to be alongside the, the Christian church. They have experienced um, opposition and persecution for many years. And I said to one of the senior pastors, who had come to faith actually at the age of 14 through a YWAM team visiting his school and leaving some Christian literature. And uh, I said to him, how are you coping? And he just shrugged his uh, shoulders and he said, the church must do what the church must do. Yeah. And of course the church is just going at a phenomenal rate and I think it's so encouraging. Yeah. And you're in a couple of mission hospitals, isn't that correct? To one mission one hospital, hospital. Yeah, one yeah. Mission and um, what, what has happened really in Nepal, United Mission for Nepal have had such a huge impact in the infrastructure of the country. Um, they had 
a huge hydroelectric kind of company that then had a tech where they were training up people. But because it was so successful and making a lot of money, the government just said, we're buying your shares. Uh, likewise, that happened with one mission hospital and um, they were hoping to do that with another one. So we were able to go to the original um, place where the missionaries went into Nepal in 1953 and um, they trekked up by a river and when they got to the top of the river they did, they did um, you were talking about this earlier Ruth, about medical camps out in the bush but they did what they called medical um, camps and they had a little tent and a light and they would kind of whatever sick people came along they would operate on or do whatever they could and the people saw the difference but they had to explain this isn't this is Christ who's healing you this is God who's healing you not us and so their motto is um, we serve Jesus heals so we went to that hospital and um, thankfully it has kept its authentic Christian ethos and um, one of the amazing things was there were 12 of us all wrecking around this place and I couldn't wait to get to see the patients on the ward and I was you know, all excited about that with this doctor. And we lost the, electri the engineers, they were, well, they were way back there somewhere, but they were looking at the oxygen condensers and the electricity wires and all this sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> not my thing. But Frank lit up when he met the chaplain and there's a full-time chaplain who prays with every patient every day and um, have services for the families. And these are, these are people from no Christian background. Right. Um, and we, the lady who is the director um, there is just the most amazingly talented lady because she can direct this, the hospital and she's, a, she's also practicing her medicine. But she was serene. She was serene. And uh, we just loved being in her company and being in it. Was that the hospital where you took the photograph of the snakes? Yes. <laughs> Explain that. Explain that, Frank. Yes, there, there are about 40 different types of snakes in, in Nepal. We didn't meet any. Um, but somebody, let's say somebody comes into the hospital and they've been bitten. Uh, and uh, how do they describe what it is? So uh, they have, uh, in, in one of the rooms, uh, all these bottles of formaldehyde with all these different varieties of snakes. So they're able to say it was that blighter there. And then they would know which... Uh, um, anti-venom to, to administer. It was fun. You did a top ten of what you'd done in the country. I don't know if you remember, if you remember this. Uh, I, I don't know what publication it was in. You've been in that many newspapers and magazines over the past year. But there's ten, ten, top ten in Nepal. Ten days in the country. Nine PCI personnel. Eight beds slept in. Seven departments visited in Tansen Hospital. Yes. Six uh, United Mission Relief Projects. Five opportunities to preach. Four basic foods. Do you remember what they were? <laughs> yes. Never forget. <laughs> never forget. What were they? You well, tell the first three, I'll say the fourth. Well, the th yeah, it's seasonal food there, right? So rice is their staple. Then the cauliflower. And lentils. And I, I, I love dal and I love vegetarian stuff, but it was kind of like four lentils to a pint of water. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the fourth? What was the well, it was seasonal vegetables, yes, yeah. but uh, there's one vegetable I can't eat, and that's cauliflower. <laughs> and it just happened to be the season for cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah. So everywhere we went, and that was sometimes for breakfast. Yeah. 
So the first Nepalese restaurant that opens in Belfast, they can count on your support then, that night, I assume? There, there is one. Is there? It's beside the Kingham uh, Church on right. uh, Bradbury Place. Have you been? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also met with three partners, Tear Fund, Christian Aid and uh, United Missions. Uh, you were at two conferences. And your final one was one Lord overall, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ was your top, your top ten in Nepal. I wanted to ask you, Frank, you mentioned two things in an interview about being really significant moments in the year. One was Nepal, another was meeting the Irish naval forces who had been in the Mediterranean picking up migrants and, uh, and, and helping those migrants. Tell, tell us about that trip and how that came about. Yes, uh, before, before Christmas. By the way, there's, there's this map here. Um, I, I've done that uh, at Claire's uh, suggestion. Uh, to, I preached 100 times during the year, and I tried to put those uh, on that just to show where they were. Um, and I suppose it's quite indicative. And we've got 19 presbyteries throughout Ireland. We managed to preach in all of the 19 presbyteries. You'll see how, I mean, our, our presence is, is much, uh, is very, very small in the southwest of the country. And that's something for us to pray for, but I think we can see encouragements there as well. But away down there is Cork and Ahada. So preaching there just before Christmas, I was also taken to the Irish Naval uh, um, location there and met some of the Irish forces who had just returned from service in the past year in the Mediterranean where uh, they had saved 15,600 migrants. And some of the sailors came back quite traumatized because naturally, even if you're, even if you're going out to help save people, uh, there's a great rush uh, you know, to, to be rescued and the, the boats would often capsize. What would happen, they explained to me, was this, that uh, um, uh, unscrupulous people would take everything that the poor people had who had come from these different countries in Africa, fleeing from all sorts of uh, troubles. They would take everything that they had, they would promise them a, a, a safe passage to Europe, um, they would pile them on boats, they would have enough petrol on the boats to go out 12 miles, that's all, so that it would be outside the Libyan or whatever coastal waters. Then they were in international waters and then they had nothing, absolutely nothing. And that's where the international effort had to come in. Because these poor, hapless people would be in the middle of the sea, nowhere to go, and the Irish uh, forces uh, were able to come along and often with two frigates come either side and then rescue people from that. But um, there's uh, um, Christian work going on and there are many people here in the, in the Christian Seamen's uh, mission who, uh, where people are knitting wee dollies and things like that, and um, um, one of the workers was able to take on this vast amount of, of, of we knitted things onto the Irish uh, ships. The sailors, you know, we traumatised children would, would come off, the, absolutely nothing, soaked through, and they would be able to give one of these wee dollies to them, and they would have those. And uh, uh, one of the sailors told me how uh, this wee traumatised uh, child uh, was so delighted with this, and then when they reached uh, um, land, uh, she gave the dolly back, and he was able to say, no, that's your dolly. Mm. Brilliant. The map is heavily populated here with uh, post-it notes, uh, Claire. Um, you must have had a great opportunity to practice handshaking and smiles for the camera <laughs> during the past year. What, what struck you about the Presbyterian Church in Ireland during that year? What, 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 did, what, what impression did 
was left on your body. All of those miles that you put in and those handshakes that you did and, and those experiences that you had. Do you know the thing, um, you were, just even you were talking about boats and you know the steadiness, I think steady uh, comes to mind. Um, while for some people having an established church um, has t a difficulty for them, there's great comfort in that because a lot of the problems that you have with churches and people have been iron, ironed out and their policies. Um, there's protection of, of children, there's protection of ministers, um, there are elders. So everywhere we went, um, and I, I know it's a kind of unusual experience because you come through the door and somebody smiles at you, and actually Mr. Casement greeted me at uh, Portrush Presbyterian, and I said, Frank, a godly man has just welcomed me to the church here. And he said, well, that would be Mr. Casement. And, I, and, and yet, I thanked God that Sunday for that welcome because hospitality is immensely important. And for anybody on any of our doors, the welcome you give either will help that person come through the door and be able to listen, or it might even be the thing that makes them come back. Um, and I think the, the, certainly there were some um, environments where um, there weren't many young people, but I think the reality is demographically those areas the young people are not wanting to do the traditional jobs of their forefathers So demographically there aren't many young people um, Everywhere we went the church was engaged in the community It was um, reaching out. It was trying to move forward It was being relevant to the people that were been ministering to and everywhere we met godly people and praying people. So often we met the elders beforehand who were praying. Uh, often we would have a little prayer meeting like what we have here and we were part of that. And that you can't, you can't really describe the impact. One of the things actually just it was really interesting. We were in one church and Ruth, Ruth actually, I just want to say publicly, Ruth came with us to most of these churches in the north. Robert would FaceTime Ruth when we were very far west. Um, from America whenever Ruth was on her own and I went oh I'm sorry. He had to go to America to get away <laughs> from that. Yeah, did, really. I kind of went oh my goodness this has gone on longer than we thought can you give Ruth a shout and Robert faithfully did that. Um, but one of the things we can be a little bit shy of inviting people to things but what really impressed me in one of the churches we visited the young people came over to Ruth and said we're doing this this weekend would you come with us and that, that happened in one church. And actually, there's so much good that we do. And I think just to be courageous to invite people to things. Um, one of the things that really struck us, Adam, was when we were in King's Mills. Um, and I know uh, the Reverend Barr ministered very close to this area and is, is more the expert on it. But you had people who were broken by the troubles. And yet, the depth of the love of the Lord in them um, was tangible. Yeah. Frank, in your experience in that year, was there anything that you saw, um, and you know, I know we can all jump, jump at kind of strategy and great ideas for mission and, and all the rest of it, but without naming names and without, you know, you might not want to be too specific about it, but was there something that you saw which you, you thought, wow, that is absolutely, I didn't even know that such a thing was happening inside our denomination. I didn't even know. <coughs> anybody could be this radical. 
there are all sorts of things happening. What, I mean, I've, I've said on previous occasions that every moderator is, is invited to visit three of the 19 presbyteries in a sort of intensive level for just over a week. We were in Coleraine and Limavady, and that was great because that was home territory. And I was able to visit farmers, and I was able to learn things about uh, cows that I never knew before. I was even at Kilray Market. I, I scratched my nose and bought three cattle. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, that was wonderful because then the guy at the, at the podium, he said, anybody wanting to meet the moderator could come down to the door. And the whole stream of farmers came down and said, thank you. Thank really? you for coming. Really? Uh, you know, thank you for showing interest in, in the farming sector and stuff like that. Um, you, then we were in North Belfast and that was a different experience again, but a very sobering one. Seeing the work that is happening through our Board of Social Witness, absolutely astonishing work with uh, people from overseas, people who have uh, offended, uh, nursing homes, care, care environment, working with people from Syria, uh, church plant in the Mac from uh, Carn Money. Um, these are amazing things. Uh, one of the things that uh, we did was, was go out with, with Brian uh, in uh, Nightlight. Uh, we did street pastors up in Port Rush. Uh, and that was an uncomfortable experience for us, but it's given us a great insight as to what this dear man does, mm -hmm. and he does it with a, with a heart and a half. Um, and we need to be praying more for Brian and for Lindsay and for others who are engaged with young people uh, out of their minds, just uh, absolutely in awful conditions. Mm -hmm. And uh, doing a, a fantastic... This is what the church is doing. The church is doing this sort of thing every place. And that is hugely amazing, working with boys and girls who are, are disabled. Um, yeah. And uh, there, there are just so many things that we came away thinking, wow, this yeah. is incredible. Also the care of, of ministers who work really hard in, in often very difficult situations, but the depth of Christian faith that works out in everyday life really struck me and one of the things that that was wonderful was to be able to visit out in uh, hospitals to visit in businesses to go and um, spend time with psni officers to go to this the child protection unit to be able to meet uh, people who are doing the most awful jobs and to be able to spend time with them and even ask permission can i pray with you to be able to do that yeah. things like that are just amazing and a reminder to me how these people are just phenomenal because what they are doing in their context of work is their place of ministry. And I just was so humbled by that. You, you wanted to come in there, I think, Claire, Yeah, you? no, it's interesting. You were saying about the Presbyterian Church and, and, and that. And what, what, I, what I'm really burdened to say is that um, over the summer, we w because you kindly released us, we went to uh, different denominations of different churches because you can't really do that when you're a minister. Um, and, and in ministry you don't get Sundays off so often yeah. um, and one of the things that was really striking yeah. was the number of churches that didn't use the Christian churches with very very strong reputations in our uh, community they didn't use the Bible they didn't have intercessory prayer they didn't talk about Jesus and they um, lacked great depth and I think we can be very critical of ourselves 
So sometimes we can be critical of what is familiar and maybe your, your church. But what I would really want to encourage us all is to, if you, if you, if you put down and if you criticise, you actually fulfil a prophecy of doom and gloom. If you are positive and look up and see the hope and see the change and see what God is doing, you give everybody encouragement. And I think that's something to, for us all to remember. Well, you also did give encouragement to many ministers and their families across yeah. um, uh, Ireland. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I know that you prayed. I yes. witnessed that. You prayed with many ministers. It was deeply appreciated. You, you do have an encouragement role in that year. Do you think... Do, 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 I, I saw it at first hand, so I, I, I know that it had an impact on people. Was, was that... A, I'm sure that was a privilege. I'm sure, how else? Would, when would you ever get an opportunity to go around and just, just purely be there to encourage people? And again, that's what you can do. Mm-hmm. Because if you are a Christian leader, you can go into all these situations and you can offer to pray. I mean, you never force it on people. You, you always give the opportunity for a response. But people are more than willing, whether it's with politicians or with uh, leaders of industry or, or people in regular employment. If you're able to, you're able to do what nobody else can do in that situation so naturally, say, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? And uh, you, you, you're glad, those, you're right, those are huge privileges. Yeah, and there were people who just said nobody's prayed with us like that for a very long time or ever. And that, that showed the loneliness of ministry for a lot of people, yeah. I think. Um, and just like that, I think sometimes as Christians, just going back to what, we're, what Drew was saying earlier, as Christians we believe, we, we can begin to believe the rhetoric that we read all around us that people aren't interested in Christianity, but everywhere we went, people drew near to us because they wanted some something met within their spirit. And I, just to encourage all of us that we're, if we're ever in a context where, you know, even I was sit, sitting at a meal and the gentleman beside me said, oh, you know, um, how did you get involved in your world of occupational therapy? And I could have easily just said, well, I like this and I like that. But I actually shared the testimony of that. And um, he, he was hungry for that because of uh, how it transpired as the conversation layers of an onion, isn't it? How, how the evening, as the evening went on then, he then shared with me about going up with a very disabled um, sister. So I think, I think we ha- uh, have to remember that we are God's people. Um, we have the best message in the world to give anybody. And we will be empowered by Christ to have the right words at the right time to share that with people because people are broken and in need of, of that. I mentioned the word uh, life-changing, uh, you know, when I was inviting you up to the front. Would you, would you I don't like asking close questions um, and I'm not pushing in one particular direction or the other. How would you respond to, to, to that, that word that I used earlier? That you buy into it? Would you agree with that, that it was life-changing? Well, I would hope everybody's had a life-changing year because we are living beings created by God, being shaped by God. Yeah. And for me, the, the most profound thing has been a very spiritually enriching year. Um, and there is freedom for me not to be distracted with work and that work can be so all-consuming and that I, I understand that. 
but it liberated me this year not to be caught up in all of that and just to be free to serve and minister. And it, it is interesting. I brought this with me because I just, I know there's some of the children here and I think even for, for us, we, we say that we have a personal Lord, but what does that mean? How do we, how do, how's, is, have you a personal Lord? Um, I have a personal Lord, but what does that mean? So while it was a life-changing year for all of us, I suppose, I just wanted to share one, one story to encourage us all in, in our testimony. Whenever I was going to, for a job in Dublin, I was going to a, a hospital run by nuns, and everybody around me, Presbyterian Protestants, were telling me, oh, you won't get a job there. I said, but it's the hospital right beside where I live. It's just where God will have me. So off I went and I had to ask the porter at the door, where is this personnel office? And he said, well, you go down the corridor there and you see the, the bus, you see, or you see a statue and you go to the door on the right. So I was very literal about that. I was going down and I turned to the right and there was a bust of this nun who had started the hospital. And I thought that's the statue because I hadn't grown up a statue. So I went, that's the statue. And I looked for the sign and right around the arch of this door was be still and know that I am God and I had been singing that on my way to the interview so then the night before we were going to Nepal I was a little anxious um, because my brother had lived there and I knew the flights weren't safe I knew the traffic wasn't good I knew the buses weren't good and on, on you know you look up those things and there were bus accidents and everything happened and I said well I'm not looking for any more bad news but Frank had four engagements the Sunday before we left on the Monday. So I was, I kind of left him to it in the evening and I was packing for the three of us. And Frank came back and he said, oh, you know, um, the girls in the GB have prepared you a bag. And he presented me with this bag. <laughs> and um, I kind of didn't really have time to fuss over the bag. But once I got myself all sorted out, I, I kind of got the bag out. And on the, on the bag, it says, be still and know that I am God. And the lighthouse is also uh, uh, very significant for us because um, friends of us here gave us a painting of a lighthouse to remind us that we were to share the light of Christ. So this, this little bag is very, especially for you, is written on the front of it, and that is how deep God spoke to me. And within this bag, there was a little tiny, um, a little tiny, tiny Gospel of John. And I thought, well, I'll put that in my, bag, in my bag. I had no notion what I'd be doing with it, but I thought I'll try and give that to somebody when I'm away. So when we were away, we had a, there was an, a traveller with us, and this, this gentleman had, like all of us, a lot of issues in his life. Um, but as we kind of journeyed, and he shared his life, and we, we were just being gracious and pointing to the constant love of Christ. No, no sin is too great for Christ to forgive. And um, as, as the time went on, um, I was just saying, you know, he said, I, I just kind of think I need to get back to be with God. And I said, well, God so wants you to be with him. And let me read you this little passage in John. And it was just really Christ reinstating Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you really love me? Oh, I love you. Do you love me? I love you, Lord. And so I read that with him and he cried and he took it and he said, that's just been the thing for me. Now that was part of my year. 
you will have had your own stories of how you've shared Christ with other people. But it has, for, for how it's changed me, it is go and be courageous. People are hungry. People are drawn near to you at work. People want your friendship. Give them their friendship. Don't shortchange people when we're serving anywhere in the church. Um, let, it, let it be known that it's because of Christ that you're doing what you're doing. Lovely. We're nearly out of time. It was a year where there must have been some great crack as well. And I have to share something with the congregation. If you look through the scrapbook, there's a brilliant photograph from one of the many garden parties that the sellers, the sellers attended. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a great photograph of you with Prince William. Yes. You're aware of this photograph? And Prince William's chatting away and Frank's nodding his head like that and he's very interested. And beside Frank is Claire who's going... <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely it brilliant. It's oh. really great. It was so obvious. So uh, you can have a wee look and see if you can find the photograph. So we've, we've just a little bit of time left. And by now it's a, it's a tradition, really. And I've got to do the quick fire question round. Okay, okay. Now Frank handled these very well, very diplomatically last time, which should have given us an indication of how his year would go, except for the Belfast Telegraph front page. Aside from that, very, very diplomatically handled. So here's your, here's your top five, okay? First, first question for both of you. Scariest moment, Claire? Well, that's easy. Not, not, not tonight, you're not allowed to say tonight. <laughs> well, when we were in Nepal, it got dark very suddenly and we were up a mountain um, having to get across a river to get back. But so we, we were behind all these wild animals and um, I was trying not to look at them because I didn't like the look of them. And then we got down to the river and the river was blocked. There was a bus in the middle of the river and we couldn't get past the river. That, that was okay because all of a sudden the Nepalese driver is driving over the rocks and into the river. But then I thought, oh, <laughs> it was better on the shore because now you're in the water, it's cold. <laughs> so, well, if I'm meant to be sleeping in this Land Rover overnight, it's going to be cold. But the next thing we were trying to get out of the river, we couldn't get out of the river. There was a tractor with a trailer of stones behind it that was stuck. And I thought, right, we're in the river for the night. But, but I was so at peace. I was scared, but I was at peace. Okay. Um, because I thought, well, this is when people said they'd be praying. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, we so actually, I actually don't know how we got out of the river. Can you remember how we got out of the river? But we got out of the river. And the, and the lovely guest house was really lovely after that. I'm, I'm assuming you'd concur with that, Frank, would you? No. No? What's your, what's your scariest moment? Nolan show? Yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> all right. Your check from the Nepalese tourist board will be with you any minute. Okay, uh, next quickfire question is, what was the longest service you had to sit through? Opening night of the General Assembly. <laughs> Opening night of the General Assembly. Uh, best new extension, best grand design new building. Oh, there are so many, but uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is uh, uh, West Church in Ballymena. Absolutely phenomenal. Just beautiful. A foyer that you would die for. You cannot have a big enough foyer. Uh, a welcome area is absolutely vital. It is hugely significant. Not that I have anything to say to Bloomfield. But... <laughs> Kevin, Kevin McLeod will be in touch on that one. Okay, uh, best new sandwich filling? 
Philadelphia thing with grapes. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's everywhere. So 2016, that one, fair. All right, uh, best tray bake, Frank, to finish. Oh, um, Name yeah, the congregation. Which congregation? See if you don't say Bloomfield. There's a team of. Yes, yes. Um, um, Mrs. Glass in Dungiven makes the most stunning. <laughs> the most stunning apple tarts in the entire world. So Dungiven? Dungiven. Dungiven it is. Listen, thank you very much. Um, we are out of time. Um, it's not easy to come up and not know what questions you're going to be asked. Is there anything, Frank, that I haven't asked you that you would really, really... I always, I, well, I, when I used to do this for a living, I used to ask this question. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you really like to say to finish? I really appreciated the time with the Prime Minister. Okay. That was a very special time because uh, she invited leaders from the churches in the United Kingdom to 10 Downing Street in uh, Shrove Tuesday. I don't know that that had ever happened before, um, but um, it was just a privilege to be inside those, uh, that building, and uh, it was really um, it, wonderful to be with other Christian leaders that you knew and respected. And she made a speech. Uh, she said, uh, the reason that I want to welcome you here is twofold. One, I'm a vicar's daughter, so I want to acknowledge what you do as Christian leaders. I know the inside track. I know that it's not easy, but I know you do the most fantastic job. So I want to say thank you. The second reason that I want to invite you here is to say we live in a very secular society. She says, many times you will not agree with the government. Many times the government will not agree with the stance of the church. But don't be afraid to speak of Christ. Now, after she had finished her speech, I happened to be beside somebody called Francis Frog Ewing. Oh, yes. If that means anything to you. Yes. And uh, uh, he turned to me and he said, isn't it interesting, he said, that the Prime Minister said, don't be afraid to speak of Christ. She could have said, don't be afraid to speak of the things that matter. She could have said, don't be afraid to share your faith. But she actually named the Lord Jesus. And I took great heart from that. Uh, I had opportunity to speak with her and I was able to uh, give her what I believe was a word from the Lord for her in that situation. One week later was the uh, atrocity outside Westminster. Right. And I have no idea, but I know that, that there is a moment that you're given to say a word and if that could be of help, well and good. I'll just tell you a little side story to that. I'd taken one of my, my books with me because I took um, uh, it everywhere. Not because it's the best book in the world, but because when you've written something, you know, people are prepared to accept it. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can't just give a book yeah. that belongs to somebody so else. It's a deeply personal way. thing. Exactly. So I had this uh, ready to give her, but it, but it wasn't the right moment in that kind of context. But um, after, afterwards, I was talking to Rico Tice. And uh, Rico had been up in St. Andrews and he had met Robert there. And we were talking about that and I was explaining how uh, that had been significant for Robert. And he whisked out from his pocket one of his little books and he wrote on it, To Rob with best wishes from Rico. He said, this was intended for the Prime Minister, but I hadn't the courage to give it to her. <laughs> now, I thought, now, isn't that marvellous? One thing, he had come prepared. 
but he, it just wasn't the right moment. And I thought, here is one of the best evangelists I know. And you know, it's hard, it's hard yeah, to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I came away then from that, and um, I wrote in the Jonah book uh, to, to um, the Prime Minister and, and signed it, and gave it to a member of the staff, and said, do you mind passing that on to the Prime Minister? And a week later, I got a personal letter from her saying thank you very much yeah. for it. Well, I'd like to say thank you to you on behalf of Bloomfield for putting yourself through this tonight and also for your leadership in that year. It's a really, really challenging, difficult thing to do and you represented our little denomination incredibly well and it was very challenging and so I'd just like to say thank you on all of our behalfs and to thank you for tonight and a uh, round of applause I think will conclude then. Let's pray. Father God, as we um, present our offering to you, we give back just a small portion of the goodness and blessing that you have given to us. And Lord, we ask that you would take it and use it um, for your honour and your glory, Lord, to further your church here and overseas. Father, we thank you for... Um, the opportunity to hear how you have worked in the lives of Frank and Claire over this past year as they have served you in this different way. And Lord, we are humbled to hear of different situations around the world that we can't even really um, just even begin to imagine what they're like, um, whether it's migrants trying to get across the Mediterranean or um, Nepalese people who live in very difficult circumstances and difficult terrain. And um, Lord, we give you thanks for the growth of the church in that country. And Lord, um, we pray that you would help us, as Frank and Claire have reminded us, to live out our everyday, ordinary lives for you. Um, Lord, that wherever we go, um, your light would shine through us in the different situations and amongst the different people you have brought us into contact with. And Lord, where um, we have lost heart or lost hope in those situations, Lord, would you just give us renewed strength and courage and grace, Lord, for each of the situations that we face and will face in the coming weeks and months. So we just ask all this in your name. Amen. The grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.